smog and sludge invade Japan, a more dangerous foe than ever before. It's Godzilla versus Edoron. It's bizarre. Yeah, it is concerning that they. And she just tells him at one point. She tells him like the the woman character. She says, "Turn around, like you have to stay seated." I'm like, "Yeah, holy well, crap!" Not only that, but like they they just get off. Of, I mean, he first off, Ken looks absolutely miserable on that roller coaster the whole time. This kid hates yeah, roller you coasters. He's been don't. forced on it, right? He doesn't have a seatbelt, so no, I'd be scared probably, too, dude. He's probably terrified. That's probably what it is. He's just terrified about falling out of that thing. But then they go ahead and leave that kid there. I know. They just leave yeah. him. <laughs> I've got some. I, oh, I guess maybe we should just go ahead and get into. It. <laughs> Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, where we're trying our best to stay alive. How's it going, Alex? It's going good, Eric. How are you? Man, I can't complain. Doing all right. I can't complain either because I just received the Godzilla Criterion number 1000 collection. Yes, I was going to ask you about this, Alex. You have a mini review for us? Uh, yeah, it's pro- it, it's first off, it's probably three times bigger than I thought it would be. Nice. <laughs> Which is kind of nice because like, you can really look at the art. Like, yeah. It gives you plenty of space. Like. You know, if you hated yourself, I guess, enough. But you could rip out these pages and make posters out of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, not quite that big, but they're pretty huge. And it's it's a pretty beautiful set. Now, I did get one that's damaged. So mm-hmm. I've got Amazon sending me another one. And then when that comes in, I want to send this one back to them. They should have just let you keep it. And then you could have given the damaged one to me. Well, it's like, what are they going to do with the damaged one? Are they going to send it yeah. back out to somebody? I don't like, know. <laughs> They'll probably sell it in an open box, but like this one has like this weird, like maybe the glue they use to seal the, the like the clear wrapping around it mm-hmm. or something like that. It looks like that adhesive or something like dripped down the entire thing. Nice. And then also one corner is just completely smashed in, but the box That's was in great. perfect, in perfect condition. So I, I don't know, but it, it's really <laughs> cool. And, uh, some people I saw online were getting upset because they couldn't find the Japanese version of Godzilla versus King or sorry, King Kong versus Godzilla. Huh. And it turns out that it is on the special like the uh extras disc, the supplements disc. And it's huh. not on the actual disc with the other movie. And apparently this was like a legal loophole that they were able to work through really? to get that version of it. Yeah. It's it's kinda strange. Which they need. They need that version. <laughs> yeah, because that is the 100% the best version. And the the cool thing about this set is that they they have these write-ups for every movie. Mm-hmm. And in the King Kong write-up, they talk about how the U.S. version kind of guts all the commentary and all that stuff. But the, oh, yeah. the U.S. still loved it because it was still fun and all that stuff. Everything we said on episode three, Alex. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, I like it. You know, they just copied us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they listen to the podcast right before they release this, I'm sure. Right, right, right. Yeah, they're not professionals at all. Criterion. <laughs> 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 yeah, what a joke they are. Alex, 
I think we're going to have differing opinions this week. Yeah, this is a big one for for me, actually, because I've never seen this film. This is the first time I've seen Godzilla vs. Hedorah, and I don't, I still don't know how I feel about it, which is kind of exciting going into a podcast talking with you about it, because usually us talking makes me like it more, unless mm-hmm. it's something like All Monsters Attack. <laughs> then there's no redeeming oh, qualities. Well, why don't we get into it then? Why don't you start us off with our introduction? All right. So, newcomer writer and director Yoshimitsu Bano brings a new monster and style to the 11th film of the franchise, Godzilla vs. Hedorah. As a cult classic, Hedorah splits kaiju fans down the middle with its use of elements never before seen in a Godzilla film and a distinct style all of its own. At the time of its release, Toho executives displeased with the final results guaranteed that Bano would not direct another feature again. But one thing remains certain. Bano, and of course Godzilla, does not like pollution. How does this film's anti-pollution rhetoric compare to the environmental rhetoric of today? And do you agree with Toho executives in giving Bano the axe? Well, so first off, Alex, I want to hold off on the pollution question for just a second. And I want to comment on Bono as a director and a filmmaker. I definitely don't agree with Toho's decision to get rid of Bono. I think he brings something completely new to the series. We haven't seen something this fresh uh, and this risky in quite a while. I actually might argue, and I think you're going to disagree with me. I think he has the most natural ability with the camera as any director so far. Now, I don't think he has the thematic subtlety that Honda demonstrated in some of his better pictures, right? But oh, as far really? As, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but as far as camera work goes, uh, the camera movement, some of the specific shots and specific moments that he had, it's clear that Bono definitely has an eye for filmmaking. His attention to detail um, and that movement of the camera, it reminds me of like some older horror films that I really like, such as Peter Jackson's Brain Dead, Sam Raimi's Evil Dead. There's an attention to detail, especially to like the living beauty of things at the beginning of the film. You have the flowers and the fish that, of course, there's a payoff later on when they're destroyed. There's the attention to Ken uh, and the movement of the camera as it follows Ken playing with the Godzilla toy. Um, There's the attention to the reaction shots after they see Hedera destroy the ship and you're going to get those zoom in to the family's faces. That attention to detail is something we haven't seen in quite a while. Um, My favorite shot of the film probably is that shot when Ken is there on the rocks as his dad has gone out to the ocean uh, and doesn't return in time. I was like, man, this is, this is a powerful shot. It's that over overhead shot, long shot where we just feel the isolation that Ken feels in that moment. But then a few seconds later, I'm confused because I'm, I'm thinking Ken's dad dies there, but it turns out he doesn't. He's just deeply injured. We don't see this moment. He comes back in the next scene. We see him laying on a bed injured. And I was confused. Uh, <laughs> did you have any of those yeah. moments, Alex, where you were confused? I mean, your, your statements kind of encapsulate my feelings on this film pretty well. I think that you're right. He handles the camera better than any of the directors so far. There's more movement. There's cooler shots. Uh, one of the standout shots is a really lo- uh, long shot that sh- really sets up the final battle between, G- or almost said Ghidorah, 
between Hedorah and Godzilla, and you really see how small Godzilla is compared to the fourth form of Hedorah. But then we get moments like you just mentioned. These moments that... So, Bano was involved in the writing of this film. And I think that those are the moments where the film really suffers. So, you mentioned his camera work's great, but then his writing is not. And that's what really drags this film down for me. So, the father thing is something that I'm still baffled by. It, it's a powerful image, like you were saying. Him standing there all alone. It's already like 10, 12 minutes past when his dad was supposed to come back. Mm-hmm. And it's this really like kind of haunting shot. And I thought the film was getting ready to be really bold and yeah. kill the professor, uh, Ken's dad, right then and there. Because that would have been devastating. We would have <laughs> yeah. immediately loved Ken. Like we, we, we would have been all on board for his story, right? Mm-hmm. But... It's like you said, inexplicably, he's just in a bed in the next scene. We don't get any of that stuff. We don't get Ken calling for help, crying, worried that his dad's dead. Which could have been a really powerful moment if they did want his dad to live like that. Yeah. But I I agree. It's just lessened by him just appearing. You know? And yeah. I mean, yeah, he comes back and he's ugly now, right? He's got this big gray scar that miraculously shrinks between scenes. Mm-hmm. Another element of my huh moments, like you stated, is really when Bano's writing comes into play, which is Yukio. Yukio is this character who I didn't even know what his relationship was for a, too long into the movie. Yeah. <laughs> to be quite frank. But so Yukio is at the club. And he's just sitting there listening to a song that's not quite as annoying as the Mothra song, but still pretty annoying because we have to hear it several times. (laughs) And then he's just sitting there and he just starts tripping out of nowhere. And he sees everyone with fish heads. It's very bizarre. And while it does make some sense within the context of the film, like I know what Bano's trying to say. And I know that Yukio was probably doing drugs, but he didn't show it because it's a kid's movie quote unquote. It's just these moments like this, like even the interstitials. I don't, I know what he's meaning to say, but I don't think they make sense with what's happening on the film. Do you kind of understand what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I think you're hitting on two of the weaker aspects of the film. I think the weaker aspects of the film are Yukio, his character, because I don't understand his relationship to the family. And I also think the music actually, overall in the film isn't a strong point, but in general, I I don't know. I I'm, I'm wondering if, if Bono, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt here because I think if he had the choice, he could have killed Ken's father. I wonder how much Toho came into that decision-making just because of the other choices that Bono makes. Um, In previous episodes, I've talked about tone management being a key to a successful film. And I think the tone here is unlike anything we've seen since the original Gojira. Like, Edera is a real threat. And we get that mm-hmm. ominous tone from the opening credits. Like, when's the last time you actually believed that Godzilla was threatened in one of these movies, yes. right? Or that, or yeah, that it, yep. humans were threatened. They haven't been threatened since the original film and Godzilla Raids again, to be fair. Um, and Edera is legit scary. 
I love how he takes the different forms and they become more and more dangerous. The fact that he can just fly over a group of people and disintegrate them is terrifying, right? We get some of the craziest shots, definitely the darkest shots here in this film than we've seen before. We get the skeletons. We get that image of the skull and the or the head and the body parts sticking out of the sludge. That's insane, yeah. right? This isn't a kid's movie, right? This is not a kid's movie. This is a movie as a maybe it's a pushback on some of the previous films that we've just seen all monsters attack son of godzilla this is the pushback to that this is an adult film um and bono is taking a risk one that toho didn't like but i think it pays off did you not buy the the tone of this film i did but i did like the tone of the film i mean you're 100 percent right when you says when you said hedora feels like he feels like the biggest challenge godzilla has faced He's bigger than Ghidorah. He's bigger than anything so far. Like, he really does feel like a menace. Like, at first, he's kind of goofy when he's in his tadpole form with his little eyes. Mm-hmm. I thought he was, at least. But he becomes menacing pretty quickly. And I love that he transforms. I mean, this is something, like, out of my childhood, watching some uh, superhuman or monster just slowly evolve into, like, their final form, right. which is kind of what we see in this. And... He's absolutely massive. It's kind of like I briefly mentioned earlier, but he's he's not quite towering over Godzilla, but he he does loom over him a bit. And it's it really makes you feel like oh, Godzilla kind of feels like the underdog. Mm-hmm. And that's the first time we felt like that in this series, I think. I can't remember the last time I thought Godzilla was going to be genuinely in trouble. Exactly. And I mean, he is defeated. Right. Like, like he's left for dead and he's covered with sludge at one point, you know? Yeah. But he does fight his way out of that. He does. In the distance. We don't see how he gets out of it, but we see that pretty cool interchange actually that I really liked is that shot from the road where we just see Godzilla's fire breath. And mm-hmm. then we see, uh, we see something happen with Hedorah and we, we see just fire breath going back and forth between the two of them. And it's yeah. a pretty cool, like, you, you could pick, you know what happened. Godzilla stood up and he just began to fight back, which is, it's a, that is like the only subtle element of this film. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, you know? Yeah. But I also like, like you said, the full, these big swaths of disintegrated people, mm-hmm. it, you know, he flies over them and they all just slowly disintegrate. I guess it's pretty quick, actually. Fastly <laughs> disintegrate. Yeah. The tone is super serious sometimes, but then we get these weird cartoon interstitials that, well, it depicts up the dark, and but it's also like kind of whimsical in a weird way. It's got that weird music; it's weirdly upbeat, mm-hmm. and it's that that theme music, man, too for Godzilla. I don't like it. I don't like it. Like, yeah, it feels like he's the hero. You know, we see him the first time he shows up on the scene. He's got that beautiful sunset behind yeah. him. Yeah. And we just get that really happy theme music. Mm -hmm. And it seems at odd with most of the tone of the film even because it's really cheery and the rest of the film's not. Yeah, no, I I agree. I I just think that is one of the few times the tone really falters is music and then the cartoon interstitials I don't think are necessary. I don't think they should have been in there at all. Yeah, I, I think I get that point. And you could have taken them out and would have had virtually the same film, I think. But, you know, I think it all, for me, that kind of ties together. Like, 
I feel like the the cartoon uh, like cutscenes actually. I mean, I know the, the the political message is right there on the surface, but to me, it, it lightens it up just a little bit, and also just tells us how bizarre this whole thing is. Right? This film does take itself seriously, but at the same time, it's still a Godzilla film in this Godzilla franchise, and we've just had all monsters attack. Uh, if it just goes full dark, <laughs> if it just goes full dark, then I, I'm afraid like, you know, Toho wouldn't even release this film. Like there had to be something to kind of, you know, lighten the mood a little bit as we went from dark scene to dark scene to dark scene. Um, and, you know, you, you mentioned, you know, the political message. I said I would come back to it later. Obviously, this film is anti-pollution you know, sludge and smog in particular. Godzilla is even explicitly stated that he doesn't like pollution. He literally destroys it. You got the on the nose <laughs> lyrics. Um, but don't forget that Godzilla and Gojira, the original film, was ex- pretty explicitly political. Godzilla is a symbol right. of atomic and nuclear energy. And that's kind of brought back up again, which I really liked in this film. This film explicitly states that Edera is the symbol for man's destruction of Earth for this pollution. Um, and that Edera is going to become bigger than Godzilla if humans continue on their destructive path. I think this mm-hmm. is pretty true today. Like these are kind of our, our t- even in 2019, these are two big threats to us, right? We've got destruction of the planet and nuclear weapons on the other hand. Um, what's that movie, Alex? Uh, that we watched together one time, I think it was. It's about the uh, sushi, sushi chef in Japan. We haven't we haven't seen it together only because I haven't seen it. But it's Jiro Dreams of Sushi. I know what you're talking about. <laughs> I think you recommended it to me. I watched it and I you did. didn't. <laughs> I did. <laughs> That's so bad. Jiro Jiro Dreams of Sushi is like to me what happens when we don't take care of our planet, and he he. This is explicitly tied to Japan, right? This issue is affecting Japan's economy. Even in the 70s, this was an issue. So I do think it's relevant then. I think it's relevant now. Um, This threat is just as big, if not bigger, than Godzilla was in the original film. Now, however, the only way that Edera can be defeated is through Godzilla's power. He's the one that reignites the electricity that severely weakens Edera. Um, and in our time, like if we're just bringing it to 2019, people debate about what's the best way to handle climate change, right? Some explicitly say, let's use nuclear energy. Let's use nuclear power plants. Others are trying to stay 100% clear of anything nuclear. This film, however, mm-hmm. seems to side with the former, with nuclear plants, um, as Godzilla is that symbol of nuclear and atomic energy. I also like the fact that the Americans come in, you know, they help by providing the oxygen bombs. Um, And this film also shows how we have to come together to stop this threat. Uh, And it doesn't end on a positive. Yeah, Edera is defeated, but we get those shots again that we had from the beginning. We get the mannequin that's in the sludge. We get the clock. Uh, We get the blackness and the sludge crawling across the surface. Bano's letting us know that this threat remains despite this one threat, Edera, being defeated. It's just a matter of time before it catches up with us. Yeah, he definitely tells us that. 
over and over and over again. I've seen <laughs> I've seen unsubtle movies before, but this takes the cake. This is the least subtle movie of all time. I mean, this thing caves your skull in with how heavy-handed it is. It opens on pollution. It closes on pollution. It has songs on pollution. The enemy is pollution. The people die from pollution. Godzilla hates pollution. I mean, every aspect of this is pollution, and it tells you it. It, it tells you explicitly it is over and over. And I got so tired of hearing about it. I think this film could have used, like I've said before, another writer to come in and handle some of these aspects of the film. It just, it, it just needed another look. I think another scriptwriter could have came in, looked and said, Hey, let's change a few of these things. Hey, we don't need to hear this song for the third time. And I think we could have had, an even better film. I, I, I do like this film, but I think it could have been even better. I feel like I'm coming down on it, but I am annoyed by some of the writing choices in the film. I love pretty much most of the artistic decisions and camera decisions and just all the filming decisions in it really, but it's lacking so much subtlety. It makes it kind of hard for me to enjoy the rest of it. Cause like we've been digging into like even all monsters attack. We found a lot, right? Mm -hmm. It wasn't delivered well, but we did find a lot that is going on. I don't feel like a lot's going on in this one. I feel like one thing is going on and it's going non stop. Hmm. I, what I do like to say is like, I do like, Kind of what you're saying about it being a global problem, though. When the U.S. comes in with those oxygen bombs, I think it's cool to get that another snapshot of what's going on globally in at least Japan's mind, and that's that the U.S. and Japan are on good terms still. And we also see that the characters are hippies, and stealing some of these. I Bano had stole some of these ideas, especially from San Francisco at the time, from the hippies which it seems Bano himself is. I mean, I don't think there's any way someone can make this movie and not have been a hippie. <laughs> and just like them, he is completely lacking in subtlety. <laughs> it makes it pretty clear that Godzilla is no longer a concern to the Japanese people. Kind of you talking about the nuclear energy. It's very clear. I mean, he stomps around Japan before fighting Hedorah, and no one... No one shows up to greet him with a weapon. Mm -hmm. So he's no longer a concern. Uh, he's gotten off Monster Island from Destroy All Monsters, and he's just roaming wherever he wants to go, and no one, no one's worried about the guy anymore. Mm -hmm. So it's clear that he's become something good. And I also like this element that I, I didn't mention it during All Monsters Attack, but if you notice, there's no legit Godzilla toys in the film. We see a Godzilla toy knockoff, but mm -hmm. it doesn't look like Godzilla. And I think that implies that the entire film is based in like an alternate universe, hmm. right? That doesn't actually have Godzilla. I, I got to thinking about it after the podcast, but this one has explicit Godzilla toys. There's a couple of God, he He's playing with a couple of Godzillas at the beginning. He's got a Ghidorah. He's got a Rodan in the back. He even has an Ultraman. And it's pretty cool to see that Godzilla's become this big friendly thing that no one's even threatened by anymore, which I, at the end of the film, I'm pretty threatened by him after he fights Hedora. And maybe we'll talk about that more in a little bit, but that's kind of how I feel about the whole film is just, I, I like a lot of it, but the heavy handed aspects of it just kind of hurt it for me. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I, 
I go back and forth, honestly. I think some films can be political in that not-so-subtle type of way and make a point. I think some films are political and they try to be subtle, but they're not as subtle as they think they are. And so that ruins the film for me. This film Hmm. is the former category. This film for me doesn't try to be subtle. And because it doesn't try to be subtle, because it's just making that point, what it really focuses on is how that point makes you feel instead of trying to be subtle about it in any sort of way. It's how does this make you feel? And so that's why Bono is focusing on images. He focuses on emotions, um, sometimes more complex emotions uh, than we've seen before. And that's why I really appreciate his detail in his camera work. But I do have a couple more things I want to ask you about, Alex. Um, what did you think about the fights? I and mean, They were an afterthought to me because I was just really enjoying all the other elements of the film. I thought the atmosphere of the first one when they're at the plant, it fit perfectly well with the tone of the film. It was so dark and moody and and like smog was all over the place. I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. What about you? That's a that's actually a cool thing that I noticed while watching this film is this is the first Godzilla movie to really be at night. Yeah. We see we see nighttime during the first movie when he attacks Tokyo. But that's the only night scene we really have with Godzilla up until now that I can think yeah. of. So it's interesting that this entire, like there's not really a daytime when the monsters are on screen. Mm-hmm. And that's probably to save some of the budget for the Hedora costume because it was over 200 pounds. Yeah. And so, so apparently that was probably to hide a lot of the wires there and save some of the budget. I did like the monster action in it. And it's kind of like you said, that power plant fight, the setting is awesome, but the fight's kind of lame. You know, Hedorah just kind of lands on Godzilla's head, and eventually Godzilla knocks him off and starts spinning him around really fast. But one of the aspects I do like about that is that when while he's doing that, Godzilla's inadvertently killing people with the sludge coming off of Hedorah. And that's really depicted in that oh, yeah. scene where those... I don't know what game they're playing, uh, but it reminded me of like a poker room mm-hmm. almost. And those guys are, uh, we'll just say they're playing poker, but they're not. Those guys are playing poker and then the sludge just goes through the window and the, it cuts to the, it cuts to a look at the people that were in that room and they're all just dead drowning in oh, sludge. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's a really dark moment, kind of punctuated by a kind of goofy moment of Godzilla hurling around Hedorah, which also leads me to another cool effect is that Hedorah is actually getting smaller as Godzilla spins him around. I really like small details like that. I'm sure people, our listeners have detected that. I really like the small details when they do something mm-hmm. like that. But it's not until the final battle that I really get what, what I'm looking for in these Godzilla movies in terms of the monster battles or even the sense of scale that, yeah, there's no miniatures in the final battle, but... Seeing Hedorah looming over Godzilla is, it's something I've been wanting. I've been wanting it to feel like Godzilla has a real good chance of losing. Like, yeah, when have we, how is he going to beat this monster? He can't Exactly. When have we seen a fight like this, right? Where, I mean, really, like, we haven't seen a fight like this. I mean, even with Ghidorah before, Godzilla always had backup. Right, you knew Godzilla was right. going to come out on top. Here, I mean, I figured Edera was going to be destroyed, 
But at the same time, it did give me a sense of doubt just because of how destructive he was, right? So I haven't I haven't seen anything like this as far as like a monster battle. I never had that doubt. Right. I mean, it makes complete sense. I mean, we see Godzilla can't even touch him for the most part. You know, he, we see him punching through Hedorah. We see him just really getting whipped for the most part. I mean, yeah, he won that first battle, but this the second one's clearly not going to go quite his way. And he's got no backup this time. We haven't seen him go up against someone bigger than him by himself. Yeah. It, it's just this like long knockdown drag out fight. It goes probably a little too yeah. long. But when Godzilla destroys Hedorah, or when he destroys Hedorah's first eye with that mm-hmm. punch, it is just, it's so awesome because, you know, Godzilla punches him in the eye and he pulls back his hand and you can see the bones in Godzilla's <laughs> hands. Yeah. And it's, uh, it, I think it's such a cool moment and Godzilla doesn't even flinch hardly. Right. And so, you know, it, it shows that Godzilla really is a monster. And we see that when he mercilessly kills Hedorah at the very end of the film. Mm-hmm how merciless he really is. And this is, again, this is the third time we've really seen what Godzilla can be when he gets mad, right? We've seen him in, we've seen him in Ebra horror of the deep where he rips the claw off and he plays with Mm -hmm. it and taunts his enemy. We've seen it in uh, destroy all monsters where he's just stomping on Ghidorah's neck. Mm -hmm. Who's clearly already lost. (laughs) And this is the third time where he's done something. It's like, I don't want to be on Godzilla's bad side. (laughs) Well, yeah, man, this is the, this is the other thing about this film. You mentioned that scene where um, you know we see the body parts covered in sludge. This this film mm-hmm. is very candid about death and destruction. I I mean, just yes. to quickly go back to your point about you know it being heavy handed when it comes to its political message. What, what I'm saying is, you know, the threat that Edera you know brings to the film, it can only become that threat with a heavy handed message. Uh, you need that that weight in order to give it that gravitas, which leads you thinking, well, what if? Like, what if Edera destroys Godzilla, right? This is, the, this is the threat we're facing. When we're facing something as serious as this, then it leaves us that doubt that makes us wonder, well, what if Godzilla is defeated, right? But this film is candid about death and destruction. And it reminds me a little bit, of I don't know what you think about this, but it reminds me of you know the kind of like the second phase of Marvel. After you know the first phase, you just get all that destruction. You get all the destruction in the DC films too, um, and no one ever really says anything. But then Iron Man has that revelation, you know, in in, in Civil War, and he's like uh, anti kind of superheroes because he knows the destruction they brings. This film is kind of mm-hmm. reflecting on previous films, be like, this destruction is real. It gives us death counts. <laughs> it says this many people yeah. died in this attack. Um, so it's very real and candid about death and destruction. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, we, we've we've hardly seen any actual human death mm-hmm. in any of these movies. We see a lot in this one. We really do. A lot, those disintegrations exp- uh, explicitly, but then we also see people drowning in sludge. We see... Uh, animals dead before Hedorah even shows up. We see like a goose at the bottom, or no, a swan, I guess it is, at the bottom of the ocean. When the guy goes out, he's when the professor goes out, he's swimming, and there's like this like half decayed goose at the bottom. There's like these animals just disintegrating at the bottom of the ocean, and it's just 
kind of takes you back a little bit. Like, okay, th- this film is not as goofy as the others mm-hmm. were already. And I do like that. It, I just, I just wish it was, I just wish the rest, certain aspects of the film were able to enhance it rather than give me more problems. Like the Yukio stuff, Yukio and Miki. Yeah. I can't get over like how useless and unessential they are to the movie. And they take up so much time. I mean, they're the ones that watch Godzilla fight almost every time they're there. Yeah. They're the reason we get to even get to see these fights. It's almost like it's from their perspective, but they're the least essential characters of the entire Godzilla franchise. I feel like so far, (laughs) like that calling them characters is giving them too much credit. We've had some pretty useless characters, Alex, let's be real. (laughs) We have, but these two, like, I mean, you even kind of mentioned it earlier, like, what, what's their role in this thing? Like, why are they even here? Yeah, I mean, I agree. What's the connection to the family? Like, yeah, I think they're an uncle. I think they're an aunt and uncle of Kim. Maybe. maybe. That's about all that I can get. <laughs> like, it. that's exactly, that's my point, is you and me, we watch these films, and we're not 100% sure. Yeah. Well, see, that. <laughs> this, that is an issue I have. I, I, I like the aspect that... When you think about it, this is this is a movie about a small family, right? Ken and his parents. And it's in 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 the face of this huge existential threat, we get the response of one small family and these two random people. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I did like the f- familial aspect of it. Um an- yeah. another favorite moment I had was it was just a filmmaking moment, and it was the moment when um, after like Edera has really caused a lot of destruction, we get this kind of montage scene where it starts with this baby crying and then it just starts spreading out. And we get this kind of trippy, we get some skeletons in there, we get some scenes of pollution, we get talking heads on the news until it all just jumbles together into this blur of lights and sound. I, I thought it was, I thought it was a pretty powerful moment just by the chaos that it created. Um, Nothing seemed to make sense. And it left me with a feeling of uneasiness that once again, heightened that threat that Edera brought to the screen. I I do agree. It does bring a sense of chaos, but the thing I was most worried about was I was curious, like the baby in the sludge, I kind of laughed (laughs) at it because I was like, someone is sitting there with a camera filming this baby instead of trying to help it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little ridiculous to me. And also, I think it's interesting that maybe the baby has a tolerance, but this sludge has killed all these adults and this baby. He's just just chilling in in that stuff, crying for three minutes. Yeah. It's nitpicky. I know it's nitpicky. I mean, but see, like you like the baby crying. I didn't, but I did like when Hedorah... He goes into that, I guess it's a bar or wherever that place is that Yukio's at. And there's that cat that is in the sludge. Mm-hmm. I felt like that was pretty powerful, but I also didn't understand why the cat was left alone. Right. <laughs> it, 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 I thought they were going to explain like why it felt like he was going to re-attack a group of people, and then he doesn't. Well, it said something about, it said something like a scene later about how the cat like it was after the cat, but then it let the cat go. I didn't even think it needed an right. explanation. I was just like, wow, this was an after effect of the sludge. Um, and this was just a small detail 
that they caught on film and just showed us just to show us the effect of the sludge. But hmm. yeah, I thought he was sympathetic. I thought he was a big cat fan. <laughs> that might be, you know what time it is though, Alex? Welcome back to Theometer this week. That was Theo saying welcome back to the Theometer this week in his weird voice. You ready? <laughs> you ready to watch this week's clip, Theo? Yeah. All right, here we go. Describe what's happening to me. Here we go. Okay. Ah! God, that was like firing like with a beer. He's what? He's like firing out a fireball. He's firing a fireball and flying. Yeah. What did he just slam to the ground right there? A monster. That's hetera. Can you say hetera? Hetera. Yeah. That's an easy that, word. That's easy? Okay. Yeah. Good. Uh, take a look at what happens. I can say that on? every single day. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my electric. What? The electric? Yeah. Dominated. You know what this has been? What? It's been another theometer. This week. All right, Alex. Let's get into our awards. What was your award for your coolest character? Dr. Yano. Yeah. <laughs> I like the... Okay, first off, he survives an encounter with Hedora, which is apparently pretty awesome unless you're a baby. Like, apparently it's pretty difficult unless, <laughs> unless you're less than one year old. And I like that, you know... He's he's pretty seriously wounded by Hedorah. Mm-hmm. And he still manages to essentially fight the sludge monster himself. I like that he has a direct line to the government, which we don't really... I may have overlooked it when I was watching it, mm-hmm. but I didn't catch he had a direct line until towards the end of the film. Mm-hmm. They're his last two revelations that he has because he says something. He makes a discovery and then suddenly the government's acting on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like every time he makes a discovery, the government's acting on it in the next scene. Yeah, I feel like he has but, some influence. I do feel like he had some influence. He's maybe a professor, right? Or like a well-renowned scientist. Yes. So I, I feel like he'd have some um, influence potentially if he could come up with a solution to this existential threat. Well, not only does he have influence, he is able to get the government to do whatever he finds out immediately with zero resistance. Mm. Mm-hmm. He makes a discovery. He tells them and they're immediately acting on it. No one's kind of pushing back or anything like that. But I, I think I'm not complaining about that. I'm saying that it's saying that Dr. Yano has that much pull. He, yeah. He's got that much power in this community that anything he says are like, okay, even the government's like, we'll do it. And I mean, he gets up after being attacked by the sludge monster. He forces himself out of bed every day to continue his research until he pretty much defeats uh, Hedorah himself. I mean, yeah, Godzilla helped a little bit, but mm-hmm. I, th- I thought that was—I <laughs> thought that made him pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I have a cop out for this award this week. I'm going to go with the legend himself, Godzilla. Um, that is not a cop out. He is a good choice every <laughs> film. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, to be honest, though, and to be fair, in the past films, I I haven't actively cheered for Godzilla because I've, I kind of figured what was going to happen. Right. And and I also just I haven't bought into this idea that Godzilla is this hero. I'm such a big fan of Gojira and the threat that Godzilla brings in Gojira that I've always viewed Godzilla as this threat to humanity. Huh. But in this film, it makes it clear that 
there's a bigger threat. And it's not this threat from outer space, you know, that seems maybe a little distant. Well, it is. It's a threat. Remember. It is. It is. You're right. You're right. (laughs) You're right. right. I know what you mean, though. It's not aliens actively attacking or anything. It's not aliens actively attacking. It's a threat that's our issues mixed with alien minerals, (laughs) right? Yes. To create this new monster that's an even bigger threat than Godzilla. But here he comes in the scene where he comes in. It's like he's out of a Western movie, right? With the sun in the background and that music. I agree it's a little quirky, but it makes us feel like, all right, here's our hero. Here's the only one that can save us, but he's a real underdog. He's someone to uh, root for. Sure, my favorite moment is not the flying part, the famous flying scene. I can't believe we've made it this far without talking about that. I know, I know. (laughs) I I mean, because... To me, there's other things that are uh, just as interesting. But when Godzilla watches the dust of Edera fall from his clawed fingers, I think that part is powerful. I love that scene. Yeah. Um, maybe not the flying one, but. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you've kind of opened my eyes a little bit with that comment, Eric, where you said that, you know, you've you felt like you've known what was going to happen every time, but. Both you and me, our favorite film so far is the original Gojira. Mm-hmm. And this image of him being this force of nature and this, like, just being terrifying. And we haven't had that in a really long time now. And But this is the first time, I think you're right, that we really do get this monster that's genuinely menacing in terms of. Oh, yeah. It's even if you know Godzilla's going to win, you're still wondering how. How is he going to beat this monster? Because this right. isn't an easy fight for him. You making that point has kind of maybe knocked this up a little bit for me because you're right. <laughs> well, it, it, so this leads me into my most memorable line award. Um, it says, if we all unite, we should be able to overcome it. To me, this is a big part of the film. This is maybe the first film where humans make good choices <laughs> that actually help Godzilla. <laughs> Right. Uh, right. The humans make a, actually a calculated decision and use strategy to defeat a monster in front of them. Um, hey, original Gojira. Yes, this is true. No, this is true. But since <laughs> <laughs> since then, they haven't made too many good decisions. Um, now, I do, to go back to Dr. Toru, uh, I do think that his solution to defeat Godzilla it works to defeat Hedora, but I do question his parenting a little bit. Like, why the heck would you let Ken go to that uh, hippie gathering on the mountain where you know there's going to be action? It's like, that's just a bad parenting decision, man. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make it. That part didn't really make any sense. But, you know, he is also stranded at home because of his illness for the most part. So yeah. I guess he's like, you know, Ken's got to go get out. Uh, yeah, he might get disintegrated, but. <laughs> That's my thought, too. It's like, come might, on, man. He might have some fun. 50-50. 50-50. Those are odds I'd bet on. Uh, uh, it, it is a little little odd, but I, I do agree. Like, this is the first, even, even the first film, this is, I would agree with you. This is the first film where. It feels like humans are mostly making good decisions uh, because even the first film, Dr. Sirozawa, he dies because he knows that humans can't make good decisions, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And so 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's making a good decision, but it's because he knows that no one else can, which is, oh God, that movie's so good. Anyway, <laughs> it is. Uh, my most memorable memorable line is it's so Ken delivers the most compelling and agreeable line of the entire movie series. After he's at the amusement park where he gets strangely abandoned by his aunt and uncle. I'm pretty sure they're aunt and uncle. We'll see. <laughs> we'll call it. Uh, yeah, sure. I'm sure someone else will write in and tell us how it was. But so he's out there abandoned by them after Hedora attacks. And there's this group of 20 people. And this is the first time we see people get disintegrated, I believe. And Hedora flies over. They're all melted. And Ken comes across all these bodies. It's like 20 bodies at least. And he shouts, ouch! (laughs) And turns around and runs away. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Classic. I felt like it was the appropriate response to give to people who had just been disintegrated. It was definitely a brilliant moment of acting. Yes, and that brings us to... The I can't, I can't believe, believe that acting, that award. acting award. <laughs> what, what you got, Alex? All right. So I like the mention. I, I like the moment that you mentioned earlier. But Godzilla watching what's left of Hedora fall through his fingers. Mm-hmm. He feels like a real monster again. Yeah. And it's kind of like I said. This is the third time we've seen this. Yeah. Where lately, where you know, we've gotten, we get a happier, more friendly, human-friendly, peace-on-earth Godzilla, right? <laughs> but we see that in these like brief moments in these films that if Godzilla didn't want peace, we wouldn't have it. <laughs> like, like, if we cross him, he could easily, easily kill all of us, probably. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. I, I like that. I, I just love these glimpses that we get of original gojira godzilla mm-hmm. where we see the animal inside of him coming out and I, I just i loved him tearing apart hedora ripping it into pieces to make sure he couldn't come back again after he did the horrible flying to go catch him and flying back with him in his arms <laughs> so, you so know bizarre. hey I, i'm really curious i want to I want to check out this book if I can get my hands on it. It was a memoir written by Bono. And I think it's titled, Why I Made Godzilla Fly. Oh, that is awesome. Is yeah, that true? No. no, it's true. Yeah. Yeah. I need to see if there's an English version because I'd love to get my hands on that. Because I, I am, I, I'm strangely fascinated by this film, if you haven't noticed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, our listeners might hear me typing this into the computer right now. <laughs> Why may Godzilla fly? Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. yeah, I mean, check it out. I can tell you're really, you're really into this movie. I'm surprised, actually. Well, one moment that I did like this is my standout effect award. Alex was, uh, whenever the sludge comes down to crawls down from the stairs. I love that part. Um, it made that threat feel personal. And felt like something otherworldly. You already mentioned the cat, so I won't bring that up. But that's my standout effect award. And I almost forgot my can't believe the acting award, which is the shot I mentioned earlier when Ken is there on the rocks looking out at the ocean waiting for his father. Papa! Papa! <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
so glad you acted it out. What about you, Alex? What's your standout effect award? I don't know. I, I still don't understand why the thing left the cat alone. I, <laughs> I think I, I think I've dwelled on it too long, but I, I'm gonna have to like look up and go dive deep in some some uh, Godzilla fan fiction to figure this out. I think. There you go. I think my favorite was Godzilla uh, putting his hand through Hedorah several times, especially in their initial encounter. Because mm-hmm. it's really hard to make clear that, I mean, uh, Godzilla, sorry, that Hedorah is this sludge monster. There's no, there's no special effects to make him look like he's sludge. I mean, yeah, he's drooping. He looks like he's melted, but he doesn't look like this thing that Godzilla's hands are going to go through, right? Mm-hmm. This thing that's hard to grasp and hard to define. But they do that by showing Godzilla's hands finally poking through the suit. And yeah, it's kind of a basic effect. It, it's clearly just someone with a Godzilla glove putting his hand through some foam. That's probably all it was. But I like that they show that Godzilla's having a hard time even physically fighting this thing. And that really his fire breath is the only useful thing that he has Yeah, to stave off this monster. And I think in an era before... CGI and that, that those type of effects that that was a really effective way of showing us that. Yeah. There's so many, there's so many small details like that, that they didn't have to show or they didn't have to do. And you probably wouldn't have noticed that they didn't do it, but Bono did it. Right. And that's one thing I really like about this film. Yeah. I mean, it even has that moment where Hedorah goes on land for the first time Mm -hmm. and there's those big smokestacks and he starts hitting the bomb on those things. Oh yeah. 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 (laughs) Exactly. Uh, and he, uh, he's just slowly starts to inflate. They just kind of inflate the suit a little bit to show that he's growing. It's just a really cool minor detail that like you said, they didn't have to show, but they did. (laughs) Alex, I just got what you said. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he really literally, it's like, he has taken a massive hit of that bong when he's when he's in taking that smog thing, man. Like, I did love that moment. I thought it was actually a really cool moment because you're like, holy cow, man, this thing loves him some smog. <laughs> Eric, I feel like we're such posers because I don't think either one of us have ever ever actually smoked weed. <laughs> no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, dude. It was like a massive hit yeah. of that bong, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, bro. Yeah. <laughs> hey, for, hey. to be fair, when I first met you, I thought for sure that was all you did when you had your long hair. Yep, that's what most people think, so. <laughs> that's okay. Everybody thinks that I do, too, whenever they meet me, because I'm just kind of relaxed. Exactly. I'm not in a hurry to do anything. <laughs> exactly. All right, Alex. So, so, overall, what was your rating and ranking of this film? All right. So, I think this film is fine. I... It's got a message, and it's got a mission. And we know that within the very first moments of it. But I'm not sure I like how it's handled. Yeah, there's some great parts. I love the idea of a smog monster that amasses pollution. Like, we created Godzilla because we woke him up. And now we're creating another monster because we just kept destroying the planet. I love that idea. It's really cool, but... I don't think the reins, I don't think the writing range should have been given to Bano. And I know he had a co-writer, but he's the director. So he, in the end, they're really his decisions, what goes in and what stays. And I feel like he should not have been given the reins. I don't, 
I don't think a lot of directors, period, no matter how good they are, are capable of writing and directing well. We see that with like Zack Snyder. I think Zack Snyder is actually a really good director who can't write worth a damn. I think he's a horrible writer, but I think he can direct a film really well. I also don't think that he did a bad enough job where the range should have been taken away from Bano. There's, there's no reason. This film is not bad. It's not bad in the slightest. And for some reason, this film made it in the 40 worst films of all time. Yeah. Not too long ago. I saw that. I, I actually, I watched a short thing real quick, Alex. I watched a short uh, clip. It was Bano talking. And he was talking about how, you know, it was releasing the 50 worst films of all time, like an article. And or a book or something like that. And it actually brought the film more publicity than it had before. So he was grateful to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. I mean, this film does not deserve to be on that list. I've seen way, I've seen way more than 50 films worse than this thing. Yeah. (laughs) Like all monsters attack, for example. And I hate that he got pretty much kicked out of Toho because they hated this film so much. Right. And there's a lot of things I really do like. Yeah, I get exhausted about the message. It wears me thin. And we've talked about this off off of the podcast before, but you know, you, you know me. When a message is beaten over my head, I don't like it. Yeah. Even if it's a message I like, even if it's that, I, I get exhausted from it. Yeah. I, I just like subtlety. Yeah. And th- this is kind of the opposite of what I like. But there's all these cool details that Bano is so good at. Like... The way the light glistens off of Hedorah to make him this more metallic looking thing that's shimmering even at night. It's a, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I like that his powers. He's the most formidable thing we've seen in this universe yet. Mm-hmm. And I think we'll see with Mechagodzilla, but I think he is the most formidable thing I've seen Yeah, uh, within the Showa era. And he's definitely humanity's biggest nightmare. Something they've created that's come back to haunt them. And frankly, it's too late for them yeah. to fix it. Except mm-hmm. for Godzilla and Dr. Yano are able there to, are there to help. <laughs> yeah. But Bano's waste of time, repeating songs, using really overly long shots to give the same message over and over. And two characters who are in a lot of the film, but literally almost have no dialogue. It's bizarre. The film has awesome ideas, but it's also littered with all these bad ideas that could have been cut out, and I don't think it would have affected the film one bit. So what are you thinking, Alex? What, what's your star rating, and, and where do you rank this film among the others? So I usually come up with a rating before we record. I didn't this time because I wanted to see if our conversation opened my eyes at all. Mm-hmm. And I think it did this time, actually. I think I'm going to give it three stars. <laughs> Which I think puts it right above uh, Godzilla Raids again, which is, okay. I definitely think this is better than that. It's got okay. a lot more elements in it that I enjoy, but mm-hmm. this isn't top tier for me. Yeah. What about you, man? I, well, I know we're going to be so different on this one. That's okay. We're not, I mean, we're not that far different. I, in general, I rate films a little bit lower than you anyway, but I think we have different ideas about the political message here. Yeah. yeah I mean, it does go over the top, but as I said before, I, if something is this direct with me and they're not playing any games, they're not trying to be subtle. Um, there's some films that can get away and like they're, they're so subtle. 
um, or they're metaphorical or they're pretty symbolic. I think of like the original Gojira is a really good balance there. Um, and this one's definitely uh, le- less subtle than Gojira. It's it's heavy handed, but it's so heavy handed that it adds to the tone and the threat that Adora brings. Overall, uh, I agree with some of your criticisms, especially of of the two characters that really don't do anything in the film. Some of the music's annoying, yes, but overall for me, this was three and a half stars. Um, now, I also rated Mothra versus Godzilla three and a half stars. It was my currently it was currently my third on my list, but this three and a half stars is going to go above Mothra, so it actually becomes my third film on my list after Gojira oh, and after King gosh. Kong versus Godzilla. So, Dude, I did not expect that. <laughs> yeah, man. No, it is uh, right there, right up there for me. So I, I'm a big fan of this one. I just love the risk that that Bono takes here. Um, it's a lot more straightforward. I was I was into it throughout. Um, so I, I I loved it actually. Wow, that's 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 awesome, Eric. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you did. It's funny you know, that it's funny it it's funny that we have this because you know I'm supposed to be the cynic, right? <laughs> I know, and, and I think this is the second movie in a row that you've rated higher than I have. Yeah, you're right. I was a little nicer to All Monsters Attack than you were, but it yeah, was pretty you were, bad. You decided, to, well, <laughs> even even before you changed your rating. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you were I know. <laughs> unreal. Unreal. <laughs> and, you know, I'm, I'm looking at my list on Letterboxd, which I haven't updated in a few weeks. Yeah. But I'm looking at it, and I'm noticing that I put Godzilla Raids again at three and a half stars. So I'm like, <laughs> I like. You might have to do so, some adjustments, Alex. We'll we'll recap it all. Yeah, we'll recap it all, and we will make any adjustments if necessary on the Showa era recap episode. Yeah, because I, you know, it makes me want to go back and watch a couple of these and like see what I think of them now. Yeah, yeah, just with the context in mind. Yeah, with like what I've seen now, what. But maybe we'll do a show or recap. Like, I think you may have just said this and I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, I did. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when I get on Letterboxd and I'm trying to figure out what the hell I write something as. <laughs> uh, yeah, what I said was we should when we do our show era episode and we kind of go back through here, I think that's a time to kind of dissect our list and hash it out. Like to create a monsters versus men definitive list of Showa era yes. rankings, you know. So we'll kind of we'll hash it out and we'll like do a overall awards for the Showa era on that episode. I think that'll be fun. I like the idea of you and me battling out for where <laughs> Astro Monster really belongs. <laughs> right? It's just so stupid. <laughs> it's so dumb. because Glenn Glenn is an Astro Monster. <laughs> yeah, Astro Monster is. Okay. <laughs> no, you liked it. Don't even. <laughs> I like I like other films more than I like Ebra, and I like this one more than Astro Monster. So it'll be fun to you hash know. it out. <laughs> oh, man, dude, I I'm uh, I can't tell you how thrilled I am that you're enjoying some of these films even more than me. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, we'll see. I mean, some of them. It, it was a stretch with All Monsters Attack. <laughs> oh man, it was a stretch because that movie was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> it is bad it's um, terrible but i do think that and I, I said you're enjoying but 
I didn't mean enjoying because I'm really enjoying watching these films. It's just I'm also trying to be more critical. Yeah. And right. even more critical than I normally am. Yeah. Yeah. And it so when I give something a low ranking, it doesn't mean I didn't enjoy watching it. I got that you. really only applies to all monsters attack. I got you. Okay. So yeah. I really it was hard to I, watch. I struggled. That. Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> no, I'm, and I'm I'm just trying to be open to them and I'm just being straightforward and honest. But this this one I I really did. I enjoyed it. Um but Yeah, and next week we're getting wacky again. Yes. Tell uh, me about it. With uh, Godzilla versus Gigan. We're going to approach this new trend that's okay. going to be coming up. And it is the trend of a 2v2 deathmatch. Nice. Next week, what are we going to be watching, Alex? All right. Next week, we'll be watching Godzilla versus Gigan, and we'll be discussing can cockroaches take over the world? <laughs> All right, I have no idea. What, I have no idea what you're talking about, but I am looking forward to it. <laughs> only, only people that have seen the movie will know what I'm talking about. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> you can watch this film, Alex, on your new Criterion Blu-ray box set. Yes, and there's also some DVDs available, but they're a little pricey. Use your box set, or find other means available to watch this film with us. Um, on social media, you can find us on Twitter at MVM underscore pod. You can find our letterbox rankings and ratings at Al Cornette and at Mr. Eric Neely. And of course, you can email us at MVMPod at gmail.com. Until next week, Alex. Try to stay alive. Peace. See you all. I know. I don't know what's gonna come out of this mouth, so that's what makes it funny. Oh my actual oxygen.